Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. remember like my mom's always instilled in all three of us to just have a heart of service especially for those um, that need it the most which is why I did public health and I currently work with people that are lower bracket and I just I, I know I have a heart for that so it was sometime last year that I remember um, just being in Praxis and then Pastor Tyler saying that they were going to go out to San Bernardino to the men's shelter on Thursdays if we wanted to be part of it. And I was like, oh, that seems very interesting. Um, so I, I went and I just found it, which is weird, like knowing that they were probably on the streets a week ago, two weeks ago, like the day before. Being able to talk with these men, being able to make them laugh and just feel comfortable, um, it really warmed my heart and I just felt um, that I was able to give them love. And a lot of them don't have somebody that's um, calling them to see what's going on. It's basically just them. I just felt like it was a ministry that I could be part of and I had been looking for something to be part of. So, that I can so this ministry originally it started um, with Praxis. As the time went by, people from other churches started coming from Melinda. When we go to the shelter, we were there for like an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. We get there and they're, in, they're about to have their dinner. So we just kind of walk around and um, see someone that we might want to talk to and then we just ask them, hey, can I um, accompany you during your dinner? I've had a couple say no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And then when they say yes, um, some of them ask, is this for a class? Is this um, some hours that you need? And I'm like, no, we were just here because we want to be here and spend some time with you. And towards the end of the conversation, um, Bo, who's one of the leaders, We'll say that um, whoever wants to pray can come pray with us. So um, we make a circle and then the volunteers pray for whatever need they have in their hearts. And it's basically just family, health. Uh, to find a job is a big one and to find a place to live after because they're only allowed to be there for between two and three months. We end with the prayer and then we invite them to church with us on Saturday that there's a church like four, three blocks down the street, that they're welcome to come and we'll meet them there. So before we started um, going to the San Bernardino Church, we were originally coming to Loma Linda 
Bo felt it in his heart that it wasn't going to be too sustainable, and he wanted them to have something that they can call their home church and that they are able to go. He just felt it in his heart that he needed to change his his community and start going to the San Bernardino church. I mean, because if you invite somebody to church but you're not there, then the person, you know, you can't tell somebody, oh, go to church, there's a church like three blocks down the street, but you're not there. So both asked me what I thought about that. And then, and I was thinking about it and I'm like, oh, like, I don't want to leave my, my community, you know, my friends and start going to this other church where there's, I don't really know anybody. And that first day at, at church, I, I can't remember what the message was. I just remember coming out of church and saying, this is where I have to be. This is where God is calling me to be. The verse that I've always had in my heart, it's Ephesians um, 6, 7, and it says, serve wholeheartedly um, as if you were serving the Lord. And, and I know that's what we do. Like we serve with all our heart. I remember one of the times that I didn't go, one of the guys expressed that he needed a bike. And somebody, one of the volunteers that was there, one of the guys that had gone, gave his bike to him the next day or something, you know? To be able to just talk about your day, you know? Oh, you know, uh, I was walking on the streets today and my shoe, it like just, you know, it was bugging me and Bo takes off his shoe and gives him his shoes. <laughs> um, you know, just like any friend that we would have, it'll just, come out of our hearts and be like, this is what you need, we got it. So as time goes by, you get to know people more and more and you get to know the people from different churches and um, you obviously create these friendships, especially if um, the bonding factor is serving God, serving the Lord, it's just, it glues you a little bit tighter and you're able to share whatever difficulties or hardships or even the blessings that you have um, going on at that time in life and um, knowing that if they say, I'm gonna be praying for you, I've been praying for you, you know they've been praying for you. You know they're gonna be praying for whatever is going on and um, it's, it's beautiful to have um, friendships like that. The Lord's been working. <laughs> um, we go there and we've been building relationships without any expectations. Um, but from that, there's been a couple men that have gotten baptized. This past Saturday, we took them to the beach. One of the guys hadn't been to the beach in three years. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> seeing them standing at the beach and um, laughing and smiling and one of the guys was saying, oh man, I haven't been to the beach in like a year and it just feels so nice to put my feet in the sand and um, we were only there for 30 minutes. We drove for an hour and a half, two hours to the beach just to be there for 30 minutes but it meant the world to them. It's so fulfilling, it's so gratifying to be able to give our time and just share something so simple, um, time with them and just make them feel loved um, and remember that God loves them despite the circumstances that they might find themselves in.
I can imagine we would go in two or three different directions after watching Kelsey's story. One of the most obvious is to talk about service. The service that she and the other members of Praxis, our own young adult ministry here at University Church, have and are rendering to folks that are our friends in San Bernardino. Service. But we spent some time earlier in this series, back when we talked about people of character doing the right thing and thus shedding hope into the lives of others by the service that they give. So I'd like to talk to something, uh, to something in that video that's just beneath that, but just as important, and that's community. As you watched the video, you saw the members of Praxis, arms around each other, praying, holding hands, saying we took our community and we say we're going to serve that community. In other words, we're going to enlarge this community to involve others. You had the sense that they said we want them to know that we care. There's reason at times to wonder that. Reason at times to wonder if other people care in these groups that we come together in, whether it be to worship, to work, to study. You can feel very deeply alone in a group. So I want to talk about community. Now, the New Testament has a great deal to say about community, and it captures a lot of it with two words. The two words are one another, one another. If you peruse the pages of the New Testament, you see those one another's appearing over and over again. Serve one another, honor one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another, love one another. It even says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So you all can do that. Just keep your lips off me. <laughs> all kinds of one another's in Scripture all describing community, and yet in those contexts, we can sometimes wonder, who cares? Who cares what I'm going through? The late Dr. Fred Craddock tells about pastoring a two-church district in which he would finish the sermon at one, would slip out the back. In his tradition, the preachers wear vestments, and so he said, I'd take off my vestment, run to my car, speed off to the next place to preach there. I had just preached on community. We care for one another. I ran into a woman while I'm taking my vestment off who says to me, nobody cares. He said, no, they, they do. She said, no, they don't. Well, well, yes, they do. No, they don't. And he said, we got into a thing back there. She's saying they don't care. I'm saying they do care. And he said, I, I, I had to go. I realized I've got to get out of here. And so I just said, listen, I'm happy to talk later, but I want to assure you people care. And she said, okay, they do. Give me names. Give me some names of some people out there in that church that care. I suspect our friends in San Bernardino could give a few names like Kelsey cares. So we come together as a group. We need to understand what community is if we're going to live like community. So let me tell you a couple of things community is not. Community is not a clique. Not a clique. We all know cliques. We've seen cliques, experienced cliques, maybe been in cliques or shut out by cliques. 
You know that. You know the pain that comes if you have been pushed away by a clique, an exclusive group of people bound together by the fact that they all like each other, they all dislike the same people, they feel above the others, they don't want anything to do with the rest of the crowd. That's a clique. Cartoon and Leadership Journal showed a worship leader leading the congregation in worship. Between songs, he says to them, okay, while the instruments play, would you all stand, get up, and shake hands with at least two people who are not in your clique? <laughs> that only hurts when you realize how true it is. Cliques. Community is not a clique. Community is also not a club. It's not to say that community cannot exist in a club, but that's not what true community is. Clubs, social clubs, they too tend to set themselves apart, though not as harshly as a clique might. They're a little bit more open, a little bit more welcoming. They tend to exist to cater to the taste and desires of the member, members who have paid some kind of price to be a part of the club. Maybe a literal price, maybe something else. I was traveling recently for a Business engagement, finished it, got to the airport, only to discover that I had hours to wait. Are you serious? Four hours? Four and a half hours? Wow. Glad I have my laptop. I can work. And then I turned and looked at the terminal. People everywhere. Crowds, commotions, cacophony of noise, everybody engaged in something. I'm hungry and needing a more quiet place to work. So I looked around, and I realized that right behind me was a lounge. I've seen airline lounges, American Airlines, Delta Airlines, whatever the lounges that you have to be an exclusive member of, and then you can go in and enjoy it. I didn't have that. But I noticed that this wasn't an airline lounge. It said escape lounge. Well, that sounded pretty good. So I went in to find out what it was all about. What do you offer? Well, we have, we, we, we have a cozy place here. All the food you can eat, some privacy, so if you need to work, I said, that sounds good. How much does it cost? She said, do you have an American Express? I said, I wouldn't leave home without it. She said, let me see it. <laughs> so I showed her my American Express card, and she said, oh, I, I, I see. You're at that level. It's like, at, at what level? It was the kind of tone that says, I am so, how do you, how do you go around in public? I mean, I feel bad for you. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, she said, well, no, at that level, we have to charge you. But we will give you a discount. I said, okay, what's the discount? And she quoted it to me, and it sounded reasonable. I'm thinking, okay, if I buy something to eat out there, it's going to cost me that much, and this is Okay, great, I'll do it. So I went in. I should have asked a couple of questions first. I should have asked, for example, can you define the word cozy? What, what exactly does that mean? Because when I got in, I found out cozy meant you're pretty much as tight as in here as you are out there. People everywhere, and it's not very big. I thought, well, at least there's food. So I went over and looked at the food bar, all you can eat, it said, and I said, uh, do you have any vegetarian options? <laughs> that was the other question I should have asked. Vegetarian? Oh, well, we've got this right here. That? <laughs> I'm thinking, I could have bought that out there for $1.19, but she said, that's what we've got. And so I started eating it, and I realized there, there's a culinary term for that um, Oh, I remember the term, awful. <laughs> That's the term. <laughs> and so here I sat, cramped for space, eating awful food, and thinking, but I'm part of the club. At least I'm not out there with the rest of them. Club. 
Come in here. You can be a part of us. You can belong. You have to pay a price. That's not community. Click is not community. Club is not community. So what is community? Especially biblical community. What do you do when a church member says to you, as they did to Dr. Craddock, give me some names. Who cares? Hmm. So what is community? And how do you recognize it if you haven't? Well, I want to suggest to you that community is best experienced, understood, and defined when a group of people who are bound together by common interests and likes and values and beliefs and other such things hits a rough spot, when things get hard. For example, maybe you're a parent in a Sabbath school. You've gotten to know other parents. Your kids are the same age. You have a lot of things in common, so you start to hang out together. Your group grows a little bit bigger. You have a potluck after Sabbath school. You go to the park Sabbath afternoon. You get together Saturday night. The kids can run and laugh and cry to their heart's content. You can play games and talk. You're having a good experience. Is that community? Here's where you tell. Have something go wrong. A marriage breaks apart. One of the members is suspected of, of shady financial dealings at work. A member begins to gossip about another member. Somebody in the group gets fired because of sexual harassment. Something goes wrong. The question is, what happens next? What happens next will tell you if you belong to a clique to a club or to a community. With a click, you do something wrong, you're usually unceremoniously dumped. With a club, if you no longer belong, it may not be as harsh, but you're clearly on the outs. What does a true community do? A true biblical community. A community that cares. We're going to go to Paul's letter to the Galatians because Paul addresses this. We're going to look at Galatians 6, but I'm going to begin with Galatians 5, setting some context. Because in Galatians 5, Paul is talking about life in the Spirit, and he's saying that those who have bonded themselves together in this community called church are going to experience one of two things. One is something that really isn't community, and it is driven by what Paul calls the acts of the sinful nature. And he gives us a list. Paul often gives us lists. He gives us a list of the acts of the sinful nature, and it includes things like sexual brokenness and jealousy and anger and fits of rage. As you read that, you don't have to be a scholar to say, those things, those will shatter any community, any club, any clique. They're that damaging. But then Paul says, now life in the Spirit, and then he outlines what that is like. And you read that, again, you don't have to be a scholar to realize that the attributes that come from the Spirit grow community. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit. You remember what they are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc. Nine that are, that, 
together comprise the fruit of the Spirit. He says, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, you'll have a community. So how does that community respond when something goes wrong? When a member blows it, when there's tension. I want to read to you Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Elika Mendoza and Michael Kelly read it to us earlier. They read it from the TNIV, today's New International Version, which is the edition of our Pew Bible. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Notice what Paul writes to communities that experience some kind of challenge and how they respond to that. Here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. That's community. That's how community responds when something goes wrong. I think there are at least six attributes, six characteristics of true community that emerge from that passage. That's a lot. So we're going to put them on screen and talk briefly about them just to get a sense of how a community responds. So number one, a community has accountability. Accountability. If a believer is overcome by some sin, in other words, you don't just stand idly by and watch. You don't push them out. You don't reject them. There's accountability. There's a communication that happens. Now, that word overcome in the original is an interesting word because the picture the word paints is of someone running as hard and fast as they can, trying to escape someone or something that's chasing them, but they just can't quite escape. And whoever it is finally catches them and overcomes them. That's the picture. So Paul is saying, you may have someone in your midst that's a, that's a good person. They're not typically characterized by that behavior. But they got overcome. They fell. They created damage and harm. What do you do next? Accountability. True community has accountability. There's a second thing that emerges from this passage. There is loving restoration. They, the ones in the community will gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. The terminology in the original is medical terminology that was used to describe in that day and time the setting of a broken bone. I've had a few of those in my life. When you have a broken bone, you hope you have somebody gentle because it can be rough. Gently, loving restoration. Let's get it back to where it's right, where it can heal. Loving restoration. But thirdly, a community is characterized by humility. That passage says, gently and humbly help put the person back on the right path. This one is tied to the next one. But what it's addressing is there's no one in genuine community who looks at you down their nose either thinking or even saying, I'm above, I would never have done that. 
and makes you feel small. There's a sense of humility. We're in this together. We're here to help, but we help recognizing that we ourselves have some challenges. The next one, there is mutuality. Paul says, share each other's burdens. Other other versions say, bear one another's burdens, and thus you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's the picture of coming alongside somebody who's carrying something heavy and lifting that from them by the aid that you give them. That's community. In a clique, people stand around and point and talk and gossip and put down. In a social club, they might just say, you know, that's not our standards, you're out. But in the community of the church, you pick up the burdens. Now again, in the original, that term burdens here in this verse could refer to somebody who has blown it and the load of guilt is heavy, or it could refer to a burden that has nothing to do with a fall or a failure. It could be something like loneliness or grief and sorrow, things which you didn't ask for but now are weighing you down. Paul says community, what do they do? They come in and they join you, they sustain you, they hold you up. That's what a community does. But then also there's an honest, next, there's honest self-appraisal in this process, the ones doing the helping. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you're not that important. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. (laughs) I'm feeling cut down to size. In other words, you're not all that. Be honest in your self-appraisal. Recognize you are one of the group. You need to be of help. If everybody is vulnerable to falling, then everybody needs to be involved in restoring. Honest self-appraisal. And finally, a community does personal responsibility. We are each responsible for our own conduct. You know one of the fastest ways to damage community? to take an attitude that says, this is not my problem. You all are the problem. I'm not the problem. I didn't do anything wrong. It's not me. It's you and you and you. That will absolutely rupture relationships. So Paul says personal responsibility, stepping up and saying, I will take ownership in this. So think about that. You have a group. Something went wrong. How do you respond? Consider the list from Paul's passage. We'll put them all together in one slide. A community responds with accountability, loving restoration, humility, mutuality, honest self-appraisal, and personal responsibility. That's a community. That requires people involved in one another's lives, people who are willing to step into difficult space. In fact... If we were to summarize what Paul is here saying, here's the very challenging truth. If we take into account all he says here, then this is what is true of community. In true Christian community, no one should ever have to bear anything alone. Think about that reality. In true Christian community, no member of a true biblical community should ever have to bear anything alone. 
Now, just allow that to settle down into your thoughts, hearts. Maybe you came to worship this morning with the same question the woman asked Dr. Craddock. Who cares? Give me some names. You have no idea what's going on behind the smile, what's going on behind the mask. You have no idea the struggles, the sorrow, the guilt, the grief that I'm bearing, and I'm doing it by myself. I'm all alone. If that's the case, then we are not living to the standard of biblical community. In fact, I want to read to you the words of of a New Testament scholar named Todd Wilson who enlarges on the themes of Paul's words here in Galatians 6. This is what Wilson says. What does a spirit-led community look like? When we see people who are truly led by the Spirit, what sorts of things do we see them doing? In this passage, we have a snapshot of a spirit-led community in action. And what do we see? Paul captures the action of a spirit-led community with a single phrase, burden-bearing. Bear one another's burdens, he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the main point of this passage, a call to bear one another's burdens, and this is the main thing a Spirit-led community does. You may be praxis, meeting for Bible study and prayer, room 101, community that you can put your arms around each other and sense we're in this together. Or you may be a group of parents from a children's Sabbath school. Or you may be one of the music ensembles or a media volunteer. Or you may be working with our outreach ministry, with UReach or Excel, out in the lobby today signing up volunteers. But if you move into a smaller setting and become a community, you can test the biblical authenticity of that community by asking, do members have to bear things alone? Or do people step into that space to support and to help? You could be a person today who says, when I came into worship this morning, by the grace of God, I'm at a place of, of peace. I have a sense of joy in my heart. I'm thankful, but I'm not at this moment in my life at that kind of a place. If that's true for you, you don't escape. It now becomes your responsibility to reach someone else. Nancy Ortberg, a blogger, writer, speaker, CEO of a nonprofit up in the Bay Area, wrote this about an experience with her oldest daughter. She says, One evening, my oldest daughter came home from a Sunday evening worship service. She had been deeply affected by the experience and in response had written on a piece of paper, listen to what she wrote, help me not to be okay just because everything is okay with me. I was so moved by what she wrote that I tacked that piece of paper up on our cork board in the kitchen as a reminder that in community it is always we. In community, if someone else is not okay, then to some degree, I am not okay. Help me not to be okay just because everything is okay with me. 
What were the words of the philosopher John Donne? No man is an island. No man stands alone. It's we, community. No member of any true biblical community should ever have to bear anything alone. You understand what that means. If you're in grief today, have experienced a terrible loss, and you're a member of a community in this congregation, you shouldn't have to bear that alone. If you are lonely today because your spouse walked out and left and you, you, the, the walls close in, you're all by yourself, you shouldn't have to bear that alone, not if you're a member of a community in this church. Or guilt. You did something. You made a choice, terrible choice. You have been, as Paul puts it here, overcome by some sin. Guilt is weighing you down. If this church offers community in its many different expressions, you should not have to bear that alone. Who cares? Give me some names. We can't do it in a congregation of this size to other people all over this place, but we can do it in the many multiplied smaller communities of the church. I have watched it repeatedly in this church. I watched it this week in one of the most powerful ways I've seen it expressed. Intense grief and very caring ministry. You don't have to bear this alone. That's how you know. Are we a clique? Are we a club? Are we a community? Award-winning author, blogger, speaker, Sky Jethani, writes this. When I was 13, writes Jethani, my dad had the brilliant idea to take sailing lessons. I'm not sure where this idea came from. Our only previous sailing experience had been the log ride at Great America. <laughs> Nonetheless, my dad, my brother, two cousins, and I headed out to Chicago's Belmont Harbor to spend a few days learning to sail with an instructor. I felt bad for that instructor and what he put up with. Whatever we paid him, it wasn't enough. My brother and cousins goofed off most of the time, and I spent most of those three days bent over the side of the sailboat refunding into Lake Michigan. At the end of three days, after learning all the basics, we were given a final exam. Here was the final exam. We were to navigate the sailboat out of the harbor into the lake and back to the harbor. We were supposed to do this all alone. No instructor, just my dad and four teenagers. Even as a 13-year-old, I knew this was not a good idea. There was no way I was getting into that boat with just my dad. The instructor may as well have told us to fly a 747. This was just a disaster waiting to happen. Though my dad was full of confidence, I refused to get in the boat. They ridiculed me for not coming. And then they shoved off. The instructor and I then watched in horror from the shore as the sailboat bounced around Belmont Harbor like a floating pinball. 
They seem magnetically attracted to every stationary object in the harbor. <laughs> they hit docks, buoys, other boats. My dad stood at the rudder, maintaining a facade of calm control, <laughs> ordering the others to trim the sails as if the chaos in the harbor was perfectly normal. People on other boats were terrified that they would be the next vessel torpedoed by my dad. <laughs> Meanwhile, those watching from the shore were laughing. I stood by pretending I had no idea who, every, who they were out there in that boat. I didn't want to be associated with them. I just laughed along with everyone else. In the end, they didn't even make it out of the harbor. I don't think my dad will ever show his face around Belmont Harbor again. And then Jathani says this. We can be very fickle about community, can't we? When things are good, we're all too eager to jump into the boat and join the fun. But when things turn ugly, what was it that Paul said? If someone is overcoming a sin, if something happens that is bad, Jathani says we find ourselves on the shore pointing and laughing or pretending to not even know those crazy people in the boat. Sometimes, no matter how close or committed we feel to our community, we're tempted to abandon ship. When my dad first told me about taking sailing lessons together, I was really excited. To be honest, I had a lot of fun those first few days with everyone. But at the first sign of trouble, I was out of there. I jumped ship and found myself standing on the shore, pointing and laughing at, quote, those people, unquote. Those terrible sailors, I said, what a disaster they've caused. Can you believe what they've done? I was happy to include myself in the fun, but I quickly distanced myself from the mess. He closes with this. The same tendency is found among God's people. When things are going well, we're eager to join in the blessings of the church. When things are going well, we're happy to own the good gifts of God. When things are going well, we want to claim God's promises and blessings as our own, but we quickly distance ourselves from what we'd rather not claim, like sin or conflict or pain. We abandon the ship and stand on the shore in disgust. Look at those terrible sinners. What a mess they've caused. I'm sure glad I'm not part of that fiasco. Click. Club. But that's not community. Because Community answers. When someone says, you're telling me people care, give me some names. Community says, okay, here they are, and my name is first. When, when, when they say, who cares about what I'm going through? They make the list. Kelsey is on that list. Praxis is on that list. Many other communities in this church are on that list because they care. That's community. Community is willing to say, whether you're inside or outside, whether you're, the, whether you're the top of the ladder or the bottom of the barrel, whether you are one who belongs to us or one who does not, whether you look good or not, whether you've done well or failed, we are still willing to care. Do you want your life to matter? You want your life to count for something? Then invest yourself in community. Behave as though it's all up to you that that community cares. 
Pray for the presence of the Spirit of God. And then will be expressed that powerful but not always easy biblical reality. No true biblical community has people in it that have to bear things alone.